Would you help me welcome Pastor David Edmondson to the platform tonight? Come on, let him know you love him. Amen. God is good. Thank you. Do you love Jesus? Amen. Give somebody a high five before you're seated. Glory to God. I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to get right into this, but I do want to uh, begin by saying thank you to uh, Pastor Todd, Pastor Karen, all the staff and everybody for uh, putting this on and letting me uh, be a part of it. A couple of years ago, the Lord tried to take uh, Stephanie and I's voice out of the North Georgia Revival and out of this conference, but he failed uh, miserably, and uh, I thank God. I was thinking on that today and just how God works, and so we thank God for, for his mercy and grace and his plan. Amen? I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled because I'm standing before I have many people that I love and honor and, and wouldn't be where I am without them. But I stand before a few of my heroes in life and in, in ministry, one mainly being my lovely wife, Stephanie, who just dropped our daughter off at the airport to fly back to LSU. She's in school there. And so if you see my wife and she looks like she's been crying, it's not been the Holy Spirit. She's just dropped our baby off. Uh, and uh, so my greatest hero and you got to quit crying because what you don't know is Pastor Chad came up here and all he did was cry. And now I feel that coming on me. I don't know if it's the anointing or what it is, but my wife, my greatest hero. And then, of course, our pastors since 1996, Pastors Todd and Karen Smith, the only real father that I've ever known in my life is Pastor Todd Smith. Y'all see him as a revivalist, an apostle, a doctor, and when I look at him, he's just like a daddy to me, and uh, so I thank God for he and Pastor Karen, who've been so wonderful to me, Bishop Lance Johnson sitting on the front row, Miss Lisa, they're a hero to me in the faith and in, in the Lord and in my life, and another hero I just want to mention real quick, wrote this book right here. It's his newest book. It's called Echo Heaven, and that hero of mine is Pastor Marty Darcott sitting right there. I want you to get this. It'll touch your life. It'll help you. Uh, when revival began, he wasn't a hero to me. He was an arch enemy of mine. Uh, we wrote a book together called The Man in the Office Next Door, but because of revival, God humbled both of us. And we repented to each other right here on this stage, got in that water with each other along with Pastor Todd, and God changed our lives. And I am his biggest fan. I'm his biggest supporter. I love him. I pray for he and his wife, Miss Paula. And uh, it's like it never happened other than the victories. Amen. So thank you. Now I've got 36 minutes to preach. And if you know me, I can barely say my name in... 36 minutes, but we're going to get it done. Somebody say glory. glory. All right. I know you just ate. Now you're going to get sleepy, but we're not going to fall asleep because the Lord is speaking to us. I, I want to talk to you from the subject the Lord gave me. And uh, so if you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to talk to you from the subject. The houses of God are irritating. 
The houses of God are irritating. I said it, I mean it, and that's what is in my spirit. I get to go to a lot of churches, and none of you that are in here that I preach for are irritating churches. But as a whole, I believe in the spirit realm, the churches of God, especially in America, American culture churches are irritating. And I'll explain that to you here in a minute. Let me build a background for this, a foundation for this word, if you would. I'm going to try to stick to some of my notes because I want to get through this, but I can't promise you I won't start preaching somewhere along here and not get to them, but we're going to get to as many as we can. Uh, if you like to have a text, I'm going to be reading in a minute from Leviticus chapter 14, starting in verses 33 through 48, but I want to give you some background, build a foundation for this. If you're with me, are you with me? I'm an Old Testament guy. I'm an Old Covenant guy, I believe. And we've heard it said that, that in the Old Testament, God's concealed. In the New Testament, God's revealed. I can't get revelation of who he is from the New Testament if I do away with the Old Testament. He's in there. He's hidden in there. And we got to find him. So I'm an Old Testament guy. I love it. Uh, and in Levitical law... Levitical law made it illegal to come into the presence of kings and priests and mighty men of authority. Uh, you could not come into their presence or even the presence of God empty-handed. You had to have something with you before you came into their presence. You were forbidden to come in empty. But in the New Testament, our relationship with God seemingly changes the paradigm and requires one major thing from the New Testament Christian, and that requirement is that you come to God empty. We live in a world, and even a church, that a world that celebrates and gravitates towards and even strives for, engages personal success by the fullness of one's life. How much someone has, how much they have to offer, how much money, talents, how much anointing they have, how much wisdom they have. We're gravi we gravitate towards these people. We gauge how well we honor and esteem people highly in Christian circles by how full they are. The size of their church, how many people they can gather at a service, what's their following, how many weekly services or campus they've had. You kind of have heard some of this this morning, right? How many likes or hearts or stars or followers that they can procure on social media. But this is what the Bible says about Jesus and the way he began his earthly ministry. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, but when he emptied himself... By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus began his ministry not proclaiming or profiling himself as being full. His stage name, if you will, was the one who was empty. Clamor has replaced holiness. Popularity has replaced repentance. Acceptance has replaced a backbone of truth. 
Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I appreciate it, I love it, and I hate to follow it, but the goo-goo feeling from this morning is over at this point. If you didn't get your caressing of the Holy Ghost this morning, you're not going to get it in this session. You're not dealing with somebody who wants the glamour or cares about the prestige of the pulpit. You're dealing with somebody that has had to live a life that created in me a backbone to stand in front of hell and Christians and pastors and leaders and tell you the flat out truth. So I'm coming for you. We've forgotten that the New Testament church is a counterculture church. We're not a subculture. A subculture is a group within a large culture that often has the same beliefs, entrance, and is in variance with a larger culture. Counterculture is a way of life or a set of attitudes that oppose to or or are at variance with the prevailing social norm. The New Testament church is not a subculture. The New Testament church is a counterculture organization. Where we ran off the rails is when we tried to be culturally relevant. When we have been changed by the culture and we haven't been to the, such a counterculture that we change culture. Jesus stepped on the scene and changed culture. He changed culture so much that time even changed. All time was created, was, 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 was begin to be calculated by his birth. Lord, help me. Most churches have curled up for a nap using the American culture as a blanket. I'm going to say it again whether you like it or not. Most churches have curled up for a nap using the American culture as a blanket. We've taught people to think that if they're not all evil, then they're good. But the Bible teaches us that if you're not all good, then you're evil. The enemy is the author of modification. Anything ambiguous or blurred is not of God. God is distinct and God is direct. This is the sub, it's this subculture mindset that has created subculture houses of God that have created an irritation in the realm of the spirit. The irritation within the houses of God is not coming from the congregants, it's coming from the clergy. I'm not here to preach to your people. I'm here to preach to you. If the American culture fails, it will not be because of the people that you get on to every Sunday morning for not acting right. If this the American culture fa or church fails, 
and fails to be a counterculture organization, it, the, the, the blame lies no further than at the feet of us sitting in these chairs. I know I ain't going to get any amen, but thank God the Holy Ghost is with me today, glory to God. Public Religion Research Institute of Mainline Christianity. That, this is an organization that does statistics on mainline Christian pastors. This is your main denominations, your Baptist, your Presbyterian, your Lutheran, your Catholic. These are all lumped together as Christians. And there, here are some statistics from this organization. Public Religion Research Institute of Mainline Christian Pastors has found out that 90% of the pastors are pro-LGBTQ. 79% support gay marriage. 73% are pro-abortion. When concerning opposing the overturn of Roe v. Wade, the congregants were 67% against opposing it, and the clergy was 73% against opposing it. 44% of these pastors document that they have considered abandoning Jesus and joining another religion. From this, from, from this camera this way, stand to your feet quickly. I don't have a lot of time. Stand up quickly. This is roughly... 40 to 50% of the people in the room. This many of your constituents have told the public, we've considered leaving Jesus for another religion. These are the people representing us. Thank y'all. The book, The Great D. Churching, writes... More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who become Christians from the Great Awakening, the Second Awakening, and all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined. The 2020 faith communities of today found that the median congregation in the United States of Christian churches is down to 65%, 65 congregants down from 137 congregants two decades ago. These are the facts. Not height, not enjoyment speech. These are the facts. But God is dis disinfecting his places of worship. He's disinfecting his places of worship from the infestation of an irritating leprosy that has been found within our walls. Pastors, your walls are talking. I grew up with a statement, many of you will know this, what goes on in this house, what's going on in the houses of God in America, are not staying in the house. Our walls are talking. Leviticus chapter 14, starting in verse 33. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, we know this is the promised land. This is the miracle land. This is the land that God has promised the forefathers from the beginning of his creating of his children. This time's coming where I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You're not going to be slaves forever. I'm going to bring you into a land. This is Canaan land. So when you get there, which I'll give you for a possession, I'll put a plague of leprosy in the houses of the land of your possession. Now that phrase there that I'll put, if I put a plague of leprosy in the house, it's not saying that God ordains it, that God initiates it. I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment. When you come in, you go into your houses, your place of ownership. If there is leprosy in the house, here's what you do. Verse 35, he that owns the houses, not his neighbor, not the outside world, not the Egyptians, not the Romans, the people that own the house. In our lingo today for this conference, it would be us, the pastors, the leaders. When you go into your own house, quit judging everybody else's house. I don't care what's going on down the road. This is about your house. Somebody say my house. When he comes in his own house, he that owneth the house shall come, and you got to tell the priest, saying, it seemeth to me that there's a plague in the house. And the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to see the plague. Stop there and listen to me. I want to give you what I feel prophetically God is doing in the churches, the houses of God. God is irritated with the subculture mentality of his house. He comes into our house. We see it through the life of Jesus. Jesus constantly went into the temple. He constantly positioned himself at different places in the temple because he wanted to see what was going on in his house. He was so motivated by their subculture mentality that one time he began, out of his, his rage of what was going on, he began to kick over their tables and their money changers. He responded in a negative way because they were, they were a subculture house and Jesus knew God created it and designed it to be a cultural counter cultural house. Are you with me? I believe that the Spirit of God is, is commissioning at this point His angels and even His presence to go into His houses and gauge what's going on in our houses. 
And I believe in the spirit that he's irritated with most of our houses. I believe that there's plagues of leprosies found in our walls and we don't even know it. And a matter of fact, we've learned to enjoy it. He said, when you go into your house and there's leprosy in there, go tell the priest. Now watch this. We understand that we have a high priest. Hebrews tells us, Romans tells us that we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The New Testament clearly teaches us that our high priest is not earthly men. Our high priest is the one Lord Jesus Christ. There are things that God wants us to talk to him about and only him about that's going on in his houses. We've got to be real with him. Somebody say amen. amen. So when you go into the house and you find leprosy in the house, then the priest shall command that the house be empty. The first step in healing of the houses of God is we got to empty them out. Do you understand that the priest could not come into the house while the house was full? He had, he could only come into the house of God once the house was empty. I want to be totally outside of the box in my thinking of every other, uh, you know, church, pastors, leaders, conference that teaches you to fill your house. I want to challenge you, empty your house. Quit loving Jezebels because of their purses and their wallets and their hind ends sitting on your seats to the point you love their spirit more than you love his spirit and learn to kick Jezebel out. Quit holding on to, quit holding on to the Ahabs and quit holding on to the, to the Judases that are in your house because they fill up space. And then you cry for the priest to come in and, and do a work in your house when the priest can't come in until your house is empty. You can have a full house and get any speaker you want to come in, but I'm talking about our priest. Now, he may come in for a good service every now and then, but I don't want him here for a good service. I want the Spirit of God to have a habitation in my house. I want you to live there. I want you to be there. Don't just visit me. This is your house. We've fallen in love with the, with the, the theatrics, and we've fallen in love with the feelings the Old Testament describes it in, in three ways. It describes it as great storms, great earthquakes, and great fires. I'm now in 1 Kings chapter 19. When Elijah was running from his for his life, he had an encounter with the prophets of Baal, destroyed 400 prophets of Baal, then gets hit with depression because of a woman who was a harlot woman named Jezebel runs to a cave, and the Spirit of the Lord, read your Bible, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord passed by him. So it means everything that's about to happen was ordained by God. The Bible says he passed by him, and, an earth, and, and a storm came. God allowed the storm, he ordained the storm, but he wasn't in the storm. 
Then an earthquake came. God ordained it. God allowed it, but he wasn't in it. Then a fire came. God, God allowed it. He ordained it, but he wasn't in it. Then a still small voice. We are so in love with the feelings, with the responses, with the emotions, with, with the amens and the shouts and the crowds that we will, we will fall in love with the storm even though he's not in it. We'll fall in love with the earthquake even though he's not in it. We'll fall in love with the fire even though he's not in it. But God's cleaning out his houses that he can take back possession of what is his. So we can say, God, I don't want the earthquake. I don't want the storm. I don't want the fire. I want you in what we're doing. I know this is heavy right here, boy. It's heavy. I mean, I, could, I wish I could be the one that comes up here and cries. and <laughs> I do. I really do. But I got 15 minutes. You can endure that, right? Whatever we do, we got to do it with the motive that we want God in it. Don't just ordain it. Don't just allow it to happen. We want you in it. I don't want to just have a good service every three weeks. God will ordain it. God will allow it. But it doesn't mean he's in it. When God is in it, it's not about the services. People ask me all the time, how was service Sunday? How was I'm like, well, my God, it was like the last week. It was fire. It was Holy Ghost. I mean, every week, every week. Why? God's in it. It's not the largest church in the room. It's not impacting the community as much as some of those in the room. But the favor of God is on it. God's in it with both feet. He don't have one foot in and one foot out. He's not irritated. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just telling you the truth. We say we want the truth. Sometimes we can't handle the truth. Somebody say amen. amen. First thing you got to do is empty the house. Everybody see it? Now watch this. Got to empty the house before the priest goes into it to see the plague. That all that is in the house not be made unclean. And afterwards the priest shall go into the house. Why has God got you at this conference? Because he wants in your house. He wants in his house. He's got to bring you here to empty you so you go back with nothing. Nothing but a broken heart and a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Nothing but tears. I'm doing good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I'm glad you validate me. I'm glad you validate me, Father. And he shall look on the plague... And behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow streaks, greenish and reddish, which are in sight and lower in the wall. Let me tell you what this means. 
He said, you go in the house, and if you find places in the foundation of your house, their foundation was not the floor. They had dirt floors. Their foundation were their walls. That's where their strength of the house was. That's why the Bible says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of our houses, our lives. He said, if you go in the house and there's indentions and cracks in the, in the houses and they're, go, they're reddish and they're greenish, you have found the reason for the plague. Let me tell you what happened. During idol worship, they would take their idols and carve out places in their walls and set their idols. They didn't have hammers with nails like we do. They didn't have fancy ways of hanging their idols. They would carve in their walls places and place their idols. God said, there's idols in your houses that you don't know about. And the way I'm going to identify them to you is I'm going to cause them to light up red and green. Before the priest can come into the house, you got to empty it and you got to search the walls for idols. He said, when you go in, the walls are going to talk to you. Listen to them and remove the old idol places. The things your denomination loves may be an idol in your wall. The truth you preached 10 years ago may be an idol in your wall. It may be a crack that's showing up in the spirit red and green and you don't even know it. The only way to find it is to empty your house. Then the priest, watch this, shall go out of the house and out of the door of the house and shall shut the house up for seven days. The priest, you empty the house, the priest comes in, he doesn't stay. He doesn't stay just because it's empty. There's still idols in the walls. The walls are still talking. He don't have you to a place where he can inhabit, he can just visit. So he leaves for seven days. He comes back after those seven days. Are you with me? The priest shall again in seven days, he shall look and behold, if the plague is spread in the walls of the house, the priest will command that they take away stones. Now you got to start removing the foundation that has been holding your house up for so long. Start removing, start removing stones. Does everybody see it? Take it out of the city and put it in a place that is called unholy. Get it out of your life. Let me hurry. Then the priest shall command that these stones be taken away, cast out of the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped within round about, and they shall pour out the dust that is scraped off outside of the city in an unplace. Listen to what they had to do to their own house. Empty it. Take out idols from the walls. Take out stones from the walls. It's work getting your house ready for God. Scrape with their own hands old plaster that's been holding up their foundation. Take it out of the city. God said, get it. Don't even put it in the city. Take it out of the city. It's unholy. Verse 43 
Guess what happens? The priests come back. And if the plague comes out again and breaks out in the house and after that he has taken away the stones and after he has scraped the house and after he's replastered the house, then the priest shall come. And what is he going to do? He's going to examine it again. It's a process to get your house ready for his presence. Doesn't happen at one conference. You got to stick by the stuff. When people leave you and they kick you out of your denomination and they kick you out of your circles and they say, I, I, well, I can't fellowship with you because you're hanging out with Bishop Lance and Pastor Todd and Pastor Robbie and, and you're doing that water thing and baptizing people and you're not even baptizing people to be born again. You're baptizing them for healing and you're baptizing for this. Hey, if you're going to hang out with them, you can't hang out with me. Verse 44, then the priest shall come. Look and behold, if the plague is spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house and it is unclean. That word fretting means irritating. Pastor Todd reads about, uh, writes about this in his book about the glory. How God came into this house he came in, they had an encounter. I believe the first one was during Caneo. He, they had an encounter and then God backed off for several weeks. Several weeks goes by, God steps in, they have a great encounter, backs off for several weeks. But then there come a time, Holy Ghost, where they had done the work and they had removed stones and got out the idols and took off the plaster and said, we don't, we, we don't want it in the house, we don't even want it in the city. And God came in, and I'm here to tell you, God hasn't left. He hasn't called it unclean, but he's been pleased and said, this is clean. I can work with this. I know this is deep. I know it's over your head. I'm trying to just get it as good as I can in the time allotted. I'm sorry. It goes on to say that if he comes back to the house and the plague is still there, he makes a command. Tear the house down. I'm convinced that before we plant another church, we need to tear some of them down. Some of them are not representing us like they should represent us. Some of the churches need to shut the doors or get a backbone about you and stand up and change these statistics. You don't represent me. I'm not believing in the LGBTQ. I don't support these marriages. Who do you think you are? I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to be your confidant. I don't want to have mercy on you. I'm not worried about offending you. All I'm worried about is the priest is coming. He's coming. The priest is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. My neighbor might not come. The pastor down the road might not come. My bishop may not come. But I'm preparing the house because the priest, he is coming. Yeah. 
Last year, I was going through hell at the conference. I could barely preach, but I came out gold, baby. I came out with a new anointing. I came out with a new glory. Now I'm ready to take on hell. Come on, baby, because it ain't about you. The priest is coming. Now I'm going to be ready. I'm sorry. I'm hearing things in the spirit. Hell saying, shut him up. Shut him up. Because we're fighting. We're fighting. And I'm here to tell you and prophesy over every pastor and leader in the building. God has promised victory. And we're about to walk in to the greatest victory of the American church we've ever seen. And hell can't do anything about it. Glory. He's coming. He's coming. Shout, he's coming. All right, sit down. I got two minutes. Let me have that coat. <laughs> hey. <sighs> Guess that doing my time's up. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, I feel a little drunk. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> I do. I feel like I give it up to the ball, baby. Woo! I'm ready now, boy. Got some of that new wine. Woo! I could go there, Pastor. You know I could, but my time's up. I got to get out of here. Why did the people empty their houses? Culture will say because leprosy was in the walls. Counterculture says because the priest was coming. Why did they have to remove stones out of their walls? Culture will say, because leprosy was in the house. Counterculture says, the priest is coming. Why did they have to tear the plaster off and repaint the house? Culture says, leprosy's in the walls. And culture is good at identifying the problem. 
counterculture realizes they're the solution to the problem. It's not about my talents, my abilities. It's about my priest. And he's coming. So I leave you with these words. Didn't even get to my point on empty. Bless God, I tell you what, though, I ain't empty a bit today. Woo! I'm, I'm full as a horse tick, son. I mean, you get near me, I'm liable to blow up on everything. It wasn't a great sermon, but the message is amazing. All right, I'm done. Y'all ready for Pastor Karen? She's coming next. <laughs> Hopefully she can fix everything that I've broken. But I do want to end with this. I do want to end with this. If you're empty, you're hurting, you're struggling. Just remember Gideon beat the Midianites with empty pitchers. And the disciples were called, ordained, and commissioned from empty boats. And the woman and her son and her whole city was changed from an empty meal barrel and an empty pot of oil. And our victory that we celebrate today and our spirit that we get drunk on right now is prophesied and identified from an empty grave. Get on your feet and thank God that the priest is coming.